Good morning. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for this morning. Uh, we thank you for the miracle of, of Jesus' birth. And uh, as we talk uh, for the next uh, 20, 25 minutes or so, I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be focused on what matters most. Again, we thank you for Jesus and the gift he was and is and, and will ever be. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We tend to have a uh, romanticized view of, of Christmas. You actually uh, see this in even some of our Christmas songs. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Um, I've got a newborn, I know better. <laughs> All right, so that, that song's just not true. But we, we, tend to, we tend to have this romanticized view of it, that the perfect Christmas was this perfect time of year. And, and so the, perfect, the, the first Christmas was perfect, and so my Christmas needs to be perfect as well. And almost every Christmas movie uh, you watch has this as part of the theme, at least. It, it is the pursuit of the perfect Christmas, Right? Clark Griswold has the dream of this ideal, perfect Christmas, and from the moment his family arrives, he realizes it's nearly impossible. The Who's down in Whoville, they like Christmas a lot, uh, and they pursued the perfect Christmas, but the Grinch, who lived north of Whoville, uh, did not, and, and they, they, have to, they have to overcome that obstacle. Even Christmas with the Cranks, it's this couple who spends uh, tons of money and tons of time pursuing the perfect Christmas. And then when their daughter goes away out of town, they realize that maybe it's better to just skip the whole, whole thing. Almost every Christmas story is the same. It is the pursuit of the perfect Christmas. And some of us here on Christmas Eve, we're guilty of this. Uh, we're guilty of pursuing the perfect Christmas. Have you heard of POPD? It is perfect ornament placement disorder. And some of you, from the moment you put your trip, you are just staring at the tree uh, night after night after night, arranging and rearranging ornaments until they are perfect. And it is a never-ending vicious cycle, right? Um, you're stressed out. You're here today and you're stressed out trying to make this year, this Christmas, perfect for your family. And we tend to think about the first Christmas that same way, that it was perfect. But as a matter of fact, that, that's not true. The, perfect, the perfect first Christmas was actually kind of surrounded by this dark and even hard stuff. The, the first Christmas was, was difficult. Think about it from Mary's perspective just for a moment. Uh, she was really young when, when she gave birth to Jesus, probably uh, 13 years of age or maybe even a little bit younger. And the angel appears to you, just imagine it for a moment. She appears to you and tells you that you are going to give birth to a son. That son is from the Holy Spirit and your child is going to be the savior of the world. Now, there is an element of that that is probably very exciting, but there's this whole other element where you know, as a young girl living at that time in that place, that you could have been killed for becoming pregnant before uh, you and your husband were, were married. Um, I, I think this goes to why she leaves town for a while as part of the Christmas story. She goes to, out of town to live with family. It is stressful to be in her hometown. The whispers, the wondering, the, 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 the staring, um, it's dark, it, it's hard. And then you add into that element the stress of raising the savior of the world, right? And how much pressure there must have been on her. Um, it, it, was a, it was a hard time. Think about the trip to Bethlehem that Joseph and Mary, they get called up for a census, uh, which basically we think of uh, Caesar Augustus calling on a census of the entire world. What that meant to them in that time was your taxes were going up, right? Our taxes are just going down. Their taxes were going up, um, 
And so they had to travel to their hometown. Uh, Rome was known for their viciously high taxes. But in addition to that, Mary is very, very pregnant. And the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was 65 to 80 miles by foot. Think about that, new moms. Very, very pregnant, walking 80 miles, uh, pregnant, rough terrain. It's, it's tough, <laughs> I'm going to assume. It's tough. It's hard. All right. Think about, then we don't even think about the story of, of King Herod. Uh, king Herod was a local leader. A lot of people would have referred to him as a puppet king, that he did Rome's bidding uh, for them. He was kind of a, a, um, a, a puppet king for them and, and oversaw the, the Jewish people living in Israel. And he called himself, they, the, the people called him a puppet king. He called himself the king of the Jews. And so when the, the uh, Magi uh, show up and they say that they're, to worship, they're there to worship the new king of the Jews, the Bible says that he was disturbed. And the wise men end up being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And I want to show you what happens next. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with what he had learned from the Magi. Dark Christmas days for every one of those families. I mean, we, we, we think about King Herod, and we think about uh, Caesar Augustus. We're going to um, talk about him more in coming weeks as we get into our new, new series. They were crazy. These were crazy people, and for a lot of people that first Christmas, it was a difficult time. And Christmas can be hard. It can be difficult. It can be stressful. And the reason it can be is different for different people. For some, for some people, it's a change circumstance, that this is the year you lost a job, or you went through a separation or divorce, or there was a death in your family. And there's just, just for some people, there's just kind of a cloud over Christmas, for others, it's uh, dark because of unrealized expectations. That honestly, you thought you'd be married by now or that you'd have children by now. And Christmas is this time that is almost like uberly focused on families and it's hard for you. For, for some, it's disappointing, development, disappointing developments. That one family or, and another family, um, they're not talking to each other anymore over politics or Donald Trump or sports or both. Um, and they're both gonna be at your house in about five hours. And um, it adds an element of stress to your holiday season. A family member that you love or care about, they had to cancel at the last minute. Open up, uh, it, well, actually, you don't need to open up. If you want to, you can. But we're going to look at John 1. Uh, it's kind of dark out there, so we'll, we'll have this on the screen for you. Uh, I know it's been a little bit of a bummer Christmas message so far, but I want to share with you John's gospel, what he shares about the beginning of Christmas, because John loved when it came to Christmas to talk about the idea of light. Because John recognized that life and Christmas is not always sunshine and roses. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life is stressful. Sometimes life is, is dark. And so John writes his gospel. And he writes his gospel to share with us a very, very simple message that I want to share with you, whether you're in good circumstances or bad. And that's that light is possible. Light and darkness is possible. John would actually even go a little bit of a step further that light is promised. 
So this Christmas, I want to preach to you this Christmas Eve that light, no matter what your circumstances are, Christmas light is promised to you. Let me show you what John says. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So John ties his gospel, the beginning of his gospel, with the beginning of the Bible. And he does that with three simple words. In the beginning. And it's how your Bible starts. It's how Genesis starts. It's the creation story uh, from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis. And I've taught you this before, but whenever you're studying the Bible, there's this Bible study kind of um, uh, idea that's called the law of first mention. And that's anytime you see a list of something in the Bible, the first thing that is mentioned in the list usually has special significance or is important. And so when we talk about like the fruit of the spirit in the Bible, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the spirit is love. The law of first mention says that everything flows then from love. And you could go through every list in the Bible and do that same thing. Like if I asked you, uh, and, and I think this just makes sense. If I were to ask you to list uh, your favorite Christmas movie or your favorite Christmas carol or your favorite restaurant, the first thing that you mentioned when you were developing your list probably has special significance to you or is uniquely important to you. So if you think of the creation story in Genesis 1 as a list of things that God created from the very beginning, let me show you the law of first mention way back in the book of Genesis. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be, let there be light. And there was light. The very first thing that happened in the creation story was the creation of light. That the whole earth was filled with darkness and God created light. Light is important to God. Right? Light is uniquely important to God. And so John is doing a couple things in this text. One is he is establishing Jesus as being a part of the creation story. And we often, in terms of the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we typically don't think of Jesus being present in the creation story. But according to John, he was. And, and you can see uh, God the Father in, in this story, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can see the Spirit, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Where is Jesus in this text? You know what John says? John says he's the Word. That when the text says, God said, let there be light, and there was light, there's Jesus. That's the presence of Jesus in this text, that somehow Jesus is the word of God, right? And this is what John will go on to say, that he was the word become flesh, that somehow when God spoke those words, let there be light, and there was light, that is somehow a manifestation of of Jesus, that in other words, let me say to to you this way, Jesus brings life, 
Jesus brings vitality and Jesus brings light to a dark world. This is what Jesus does. This is his role. This is part of his mission, that Jesus brings light. And so it is of no surprise to me that John starts out his gospel this way, that in the middle of the darkness of Israel, Caesar Augustus, King Herod, murder, stress, anxiety, in the middle of all that, a baby was born. And we tend to think of the the light of the Christmas story as like the star over Bethlehem. But the real light, the light that gives uh, light to the entire world was actually lying in the manger. We just didn't know it yet. So Jesus brings light. This is who he is. This is what he does. He is the light of the world. He brings light to dark situations. And so we become kind of obsessed with a question whenever we're going through a dark period or a hard period or we're sad or, or whatever, whenever we're going through that, here's the question we tend to grapple most with is this. What kind of light is Jesus going to bring? Right? If Jesus is light and Jesus is going to bring light, what kind of light is he going to bring to my situation? For some of us, we hope it's a stoplight. That man, whatever this circumstance is, whatever this ugly thing is that's going on in my life, I hope Jesus comes as a stoplight and it just goes away. Merry Christmas, it's done. For some of us, we hope he comes as a flashlight. That for us, the, the stress of Christmas is we don't know what to do or where to go. Should I take the job? Should I marry this person? You know, are we ready to have kids? We, we need to make this decision. And we just kind of hope Jesus comes with a flashlight and says, like, go there. Right? Do, do this thing. And, and we hope he comes as a flashlight. For some, we hope he comes as a strobe light. I tend to think of strobe lights as a festive party atmosphere, and we just hope the new year is full of that. It's full of fun and blessing and good. We really just want to know what he's going to do. When you say Jesus is light, what, what exactly, what kind of light is he going to bring? What kind of action is he going to take? But I think there's a really interesting way that this text lays out, and I want to, put, I want to reread it with you. Uh, and I want to put the text up on the screen for you. And I want to show you. I think this is really interesting, given that we all ask that question. What kind of light is he going to bring? Let's put the, the text up. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that had been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. John seems to be indicating to us that the light of Jesus is not a what. It's not just what is he going to do. The light of Jesus is not a what. According to John, the light seems to be a he, a him, and a who. That Jesus was not just this great teacher and this great prophet who brings good light and does good things. Let me be really clear on this. He's not Santa Claus, but Jesus is instead God in human flesh. He is who knowing him and having a relationship with him and worshiping him, John says, is a light of its own. 
that Jesus didn't just come to do light. He didn't just come to do light. He came to be a light. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus is going to do something in your situation, and it's human nature to wonder what that thing is. Some of you know that we're kind of going through a second adoption right now. We waited for our son, Sam, for about nine months. We waited two years with Lila, and there were lots of times where we were wondering, God, what are you doing? Why is this taking so long? How are you leading? What are you going to do? It's human nature to wonder, but here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't confuse what with who. The thing that Jesus does in your situation is not going to be your ultimate light. It is not your ultimate joy, hope, and peace. Jesus is our light. It is found in him, knowing him, worshiping him, serving him. He is our light. Let me be clear. Lila is lovely. We love her so much. She is not my light. She's not. The light is found in Jesus. That new job is not your light. Right? That new marriage is not your light. Don't make them th- th- your light. They can't hold up under that pressure. They're not God. They make a terrible one. And so don't ever confuse the what with the who. This is backed up. John loved this theme, that somehow the light is not just what Jesus is going to do. Somehow the light is found in him that he is the light of our world. And John goes on to back this up throughout throughout his whole gospel, that he uh, develops this list of, we call them uh, the seven I am statements. They're all in the book of John, and they are these I am statements that Jesus makes that demonstrates to us again and again and again that this light is found not just in what he does, although he is gonna do something. This light is found in in his person, in, in a relationship with him. It's found in Jesus. Let me show you these seven I am statements. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Uh, John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So you see, built into these are promises of things that come as the result of a relationship with Jesus. These are things that are found in him and through him. This is not just stuff that he does, although there is some stuff that he does in there, but it's not just what he does, it's having a relationship with him. This is fruit that comes from the tree that is Jesus. So within here, there is a promise for satisfaction that everybody in this room, we are all looking for someone or something to worship. And Jesus says, man, if you will worship me, he promises satisfaction for our souls. There's a promise of salvation, that you don't have to wonder where you stand with God. You don't have to wonder what's gonna happen to you in the next life, that through Jesus we are forgiven and we're good with God in this life and the next 
he talks a lot about fruit in this text, that, that we uh, receive this fruit from Jesus. Uh, Paul will go on in Galatians to say, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is light that comes from a relationship with Jesus. And I think that the reason John focuses on this so much in terms of his Christmas story is I think it had to do with John's unique friendship with Jesus. By all accounts, John and Jesus were really, really good friends. Um, some people think that, that they may have been best friends. Um, John and his gospel repeatedly refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He was also humble. Um, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, that's me, right? Um, he repeatedly refers to himself that way. Jesus asked John uh, to look after his mother after Jesus is gone. So we know that Jesus and John had, had this uh, unique friendship going. And I think John was forever changed by his relationship with Jesus. And I think he wanted that for every single person that would read his gospel. I think he said, man, don't just think of Jesus in terms of like what he can do for you although he's gonna do a lot. Don't think about him just in terms of what he's gonna do for you. Think about him in terms of a relationship, that you're gonna love him, you're gonna follow him, you're gonna give your life to him, you're, you're gonna worship him, you're, you're gonna obey him. Think about it in terms of a relationship because John was forever changed by the relationship. And he knows that regardless of what circumstances we're going through this Christmas, he knows we will be forever changed by our relationship with Jesus. So he says, man, come to him. He invites us to come to him and, and experience the true light that gives, uh, that gives light to, to the dark places of our world. Our view of Jesus is not just what he does. Our view of Jesus is this is someone to know, love, worship, and follow, and that's true life. It's true light. And I can't promise you what he's gonna do. He knows what he's gonna do, I can promise you that but I can't promise you what he's gonna do in good times or bad. Here's what I can promise you, he's light. He's light. Light is found in him because he is the light of the world. It's what the light of the world does. He brings light and that is a good and merry thing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his light um, that, that is found in a relationship with him. Jesus does so much in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, but we don't wanna just kind of view him in a, we don't wanna view him in almost a Santa Claus way, that we're like, we're coming to him just for stuff. We wanna view this Christmas story as an invitation to a relationship, to know, honor, follow, and worship Jesus, to be in a relationship with him, because that is a light in its own. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. We stand, we're gonna sing a song of invitation and I'd love, to, um, I'd love to pray with you as we're singing this song. Um, if you're interested in hearing more about the light of the world, we'd love to begin a conversation with you about that as well um, as uh, Rob leads us in this song.